Welcome to Extract Talks with Dr. John podcast. Dr. John is CEO and president of Extract Lab and United Science, an industry leader in hemp, cannabis, and the extraction industry. Listen closely as Dr. John talks about his experiences, CBD extraction methodology, and the ins and outs of owning your own business. Dr. John teaches you healthy business practices, how to increase your profits, and steps to take your CBD company to a whole new level. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome to the No Holds Barred, ethanol versus CO2. We're going round two here. Love it. And Dr. John, you did a great job last time. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah it was I, fun. I, I, I think I did a great job last time. <laughs> uh, Nobody's saying it. But Randall, I know, <laughs> I know, but you know, you gotta, yeah, right? <laughs> That's all right. That's we're, good. we're actually, all I do is facilitate questions. So you guys are the ones who are doing a great job yeah. and the questions have been coming in all week. Yeah. Um, very exciting. Yeah. Um, holy cow. This is going to be a kind of a ready to rumble moment, I think. I think so. And yeah. I see the uh, questions already coming in. Yeah. Floating. We, we got stuff. a whole bunch of pre questions. And then yeah. uh, I think we've had like a record. Uh, so we had over like 200 people register for this. So oh, man. it's pretty amazing. We got our own little conference here. Exactly. It's and pretty cool. I, I, I love it. And, you know, we're going to go. So we want to make this educational. We want to keep it, you know, succinct. We don't want to really belabor everything. So we're going to try to keep this, you know, under an hour for sure. You know, 30 to 45 minutes is where we want to hit. And we'll carry over questions to the next week. We're, you know, if we still have this demand, we're going to do it again next week. So yeah. very cool. Yeah. Um, I know this week is ethanol versus CO2. Right. So what I'd like to do is, uh, Dr. John, if you can just kind of give us a little overview of and set the stage. Sure. And then we'll all start working on the questions that are okay. coming. All right. All, all right. right. That sounds good. Go. So um, a lot of different ways to extract botanicals, okay? And inevitably, you're going to need some sort of solvent uh, that will dissolve uh, the resins that are in the botanical. And in order, to, uh, in order to do that, you have to choose your solvent. And when you do that, um, you have a lot of different choices. Um, you know, historically, uh, people have used, you know, organic some people have used inorganic. Some people use gases. Um, some sometimes people will use like uh, hydrocarbons, for example. Uh, in in throughout history uh, of chemical processing, it, it has been uh, basically uh, it's it, it, there's been very number of different solvents, a huge number of different solvents. Okay, so um, one thing uh, that uh, when we started in 2013, uh, started to look at the different kinds of solvents, I uh, just wanted to make sure that we had a very pure solvent. We wanted to make sure that we didn't have residuals in there. Uh, we didn't want to have to deal with uh, contamination risk. And so that's one of the reasons why we have, uh, why we chose CO2 as our as our solvent to really be our muse, uh, basically be the object of our affection and so on and so forth. It doesn't mean that other solvents won't work. Um, like for example, you know, 2013, I was doing ethanol extractions at really low, you know, low, mm, low temperatures. Uh, and um, just there are a lot of different trade-offs that you need to think of when you uh, choose which solvent system you're going to use. So, um, so really the trade-offs are the following kind of, 
into basically a couple different categories. Uh, the first category would be cost. And, you know, how much does it take? Uh, how, how much uh, variable cost uh, is the ethanol extraction or the CO2 extraction really adding to your overall cost per kilogram to produce? So th that's, a, that's a key issue. Um, the second thing would be just residuals and the risk of residuals and um, you know, that, that is something that you need to think about for, for sure, because it's going to add to your revalidation costs. It's going to add to your, um, you know, your testing costs and all of those things. So there, there's a, there's a bunch of different things that you need to think about with, with that. And then the third thing is, um, you know, availability, like, uh, nowadays, you know, there's been a real issue with availability of ethanol itself. So, um, we're, we're trying to get ethanol for, um, basically hand sanitizer and hand cleaning. And that, that's, that's a really big issue because we can't even get a 55-gallon drum of, of ethanol in here or IPA in here to, to, really, to, really get us, so, to really get us going on hand sanitizer. So how do people who need to command, you know, hundreds and even thousands of gallons actually operate? The, the answer is that they're having a hard time doing that. So, um, Anyway, so there we are. Uh, that's how I set it up, Randall. And, um, you know, so you got cost, you got residual health and safety, and then you have availability. And those are the main categories. Um, there are some subcategories. We'll get into those, I'm sure. Absolutely. And <clears throat> the questions are pouring in. So we're, we're going to get to those. Um, I, there are a lot of questions that are carryovers from last week and some through the week, but I want to focus right now on ethanol versus CO2. If you guys are okay with that, um, if there's something pressing, let me know. If you got to jump, bail, let me know so that we can squeeze that in. But right. okay, so question. We're talking about the safety issue. Yeah. All right. Um, and the cost issue and the availability issue. All right. But, but safety first. Mm -hmm. What Talk a little bit about the differences of ethanol. Again, we talked touched on it last time, but touch again on what you what you can use, what you can't use, why you should use it, why most people are using what they probably shouldn't be using. Right. Okay. So yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. Uh, basically, not all ethanol is equal. Uh, you know, uh, there's pure food grade ethanol, and that has a very specific, uh, you know, recipe. Uh, basically it can't have residual solvents in it. Uh, you can, uh, you can't drink it in large quantities, uh, obviously, otherwise, you know, you'll get hurt, but, um, you know, certainly food grade ethanol is fit for human consumption. Um, and then, uh, what happened was people, uh, wanted to basically come up with recipes so that they could use ethanol for other different reasons without, um, incurring excise tax. And so, um, there's this TTP board is what it's called and they have different recipes and, uh, there's a whole bunch of different recipes. You can go in there. It's, uh, administered by the BATF. And, uh, you know, some of them are approved for food use and, and whatnot. And so what happens is the chemical companies take uh, pure ethanol or take a grade of pure ethanol, and then they pour in uh, basically denaturants or chemical contaminants. And uh, it, it's meant so that, you know, the, the idea there is that it's meant so that people can't consume that ethanol. Okay, so that's where the residuals really come from. And uh, so it's actually a additive. It's a non-natural additive that's added to the ethanol. And so you have basically two different...
different categories of ethanol. One, you have a food grade and the other, you have a denatured ethanol. And the denatured ethanol, of course, is the issue because the denaturants themselves, there's really hard uh, to completely remove those. In fact, you can see them uh, in a lot of the extracts uh, that are coming out of ethanol. So, okay. So, the key is, I mean, taking that down to my level. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't drink your vanilla extract. Yeah. Well, don't drink your vanilla extract. Yeah. Okay. But, but, but you know, also don't use ethanol. That is, um, you could you could run in your car, right. for example, to, right. to extract a food that you now are going to consume. And that later. would be kind of on the denatured side. Yeah. Of what you're pumping in your car, you're not going to go take a drink of the hose at the gas station. Right. Okay. Right. So, right. so don't do that. Right. All right. So that's, that's the key. And you know, that's my level, right? Okay. <laughs> so other areas of question, are you also seeing an issue with availability for methanol as well as ethanol out there? Oh, good question. Um, I don't know. We didn't really look at that. Uh, we don't buy methanol. If someone's going to use methanol as an extractant, or someone as an extraction solvent, it, it would work. Okay. Um, but I don't think so. It, it probably doesn't have the same issues because um, it's not used. Methanol is not used as an approved hand sanitizer. Got it. That should tell you something, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, another question about costs. Mm-hmm. So we, we use CO2 predominantly in our processes. That's right. what we do. We, right. we, 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 like that. And from a cost perspective, can you give us a benchmark of cost for CO2 versus a denatured in today's market Yeah, uh, versus if you could get it uh, right. versus food grade? Okay. So um, the cost for denatured versus food grade. Yeah. It's uh, boy, I don't know. Actually, I I'd have to, I'd have to look at the prices. I don't have those numbers, but I think it, I, it's at least 10 X less costly. Okay. Um, and it has a lot to do with 10 X uh, denatured versus a denatured would be 10 X less costly than, yeah, at least that. And I don't have the exact numbers. Cause I, okay. yeah, but, um, you know, if you're going to use, uh, ethanol as an extracted, you should, you should use uh, food grade ethanol. Absolutely. Yeah. Which I is mean, going to be, you know, 10 X higher right. than denatured ethanol. Right. And is there a cost variable? What's the cost variable from CO2? Yeah. Solvents versus. Right. Well, that's really where CO2 starts to shine, uh, essentially, because, um, you know, first of all, you have uh, a lot of different factors that are contributing to your variable costs. Okay, Mm -hmm. so if you think about what what is it that that costs, uh, you know, what is it that's contributing to the costs? You have the loss of the ethanol. You have the actual ethanol itself. You have to change over the ethanol because you can't use it indefinitely because it's going to continuously get, uh, you know, contaminated, okay? And you can't continuously do that. Even if you try to reproof it, you have costs to revalidate it if you're in a GMP environment, right? Uh, Then you have the costs associated with, uh, you know, the actual, mm, say the the actual raffinate is what they call it, the the spent material. That has a bunch of ethanol in it, okay? And so if that, when that has a bunch of ethanol in it, in some jurisdictions, it's considered hazardous waste. Oh, so that's adding to your variable cost. And then you have to cool all that down. Uh, so that's also adding to the variable cost. Somebody had asked some questions about electricity yes. and uh, variable cost. Typically, you know, for like one ton a day for 
Uh, like if you're just looking at the extraction component, you're looking at about maybe 77 bucks per uh, day to run like, a, uh, you know, CO2 extractors as opposed to like 480 to $500 a day to run ethanol extractors. And that's mostly due to the, what they call the heat of vaporization issues wow. with ethanol. It wow. just puts a lot of energy to get it into the vapor phase. And, and I know so, we've, on top yeah. of that, we haven't even covered the fact of insurance and explosion proof rooms yep. and facilities issues right. and all of those right. hidden costs that are part of that process. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's more like infrastructure issues. So you have, you have two, two different things. You have your variable costs and then you have your, obviously your infrastructure costs. And those, those things are, are really, um, you know, both of those together really make ethanol as a solution very costly yeah, uh, compared excellent. to CO2. I mean, I, just one other thing on that. We've got, you know, four cents, five cents a pound for CO2. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculously inexpensive. That's so that's a good deal. Yeah, that's a good deal. And a good memory on the uh, kilowatt per hour consumption. I think uh, Bowden, you asked that question uh, and that is a, you know, $77 a day running CO2 versus $500 a day, yeah. roughly just under uh, for an ethanol. Whew, that's crazy. Um, <clears throat> are there any white papers on CO2 to maintain the integrity of the terpene profile? Okay. So, um, you know, that, that's one of the things. So when you, when you use ethanol to uh, extract, all the terpenes are coming out into that extract. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, uh, then you're basically, you're decarboxylating it and then you are, uh, and then you're probably going into some sort of distillation process after that. So, um, during that post-processing, after you get the extract out, you usually lose all those terpenes. Hmm. Okay. So one of the things that is, is very uh, cool about, um, CO2 is that you're able to do a couple different things. First of all, you're able to run in subcritical mode, which is a very common technique and, done for years to get out some of the more volatile compounds into a, a prefraction. And that's a very soupy uh, prefraction of, of terpenes, essentially. Um, the other thing that you can do, like we do, we do pre-processing and we, we gather all of our uh, terpenes out ahead of time. So like, for example, this is, this is a jar of uh, basically pure terpenes. Wow. So um, they're, they're coming out, so they're done before extraction. What's great about that is they're not degrading. So it's got a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of that small terpenes uh, that are, you know, have a, contribute a lot to the flavor and aroma. So you want to try to maintain that. So that, that's really what, um, you know, processing techniques really allow you to do. Great. And, and, you know, with ethanol, they're kind of all stuck in there. There's really no way to get them out once they're in there unless you do a whole other distillation process and things like that. So, that, so that's the issue with that. So, in the process part of your methods where you remove the terpenes, where you can do that, that's when you can capture the most yeah. of the terpenes. Yeah. That's, that's excellent. Yeah. Okay. That way they're not degrading, yeah. you know, which is, is really great. So okay. um, can, can CO2 be used for um, processing other biobotanicals? Absolutely. I mean, CO2 is used right now industrially. Um, you know, I think that, at the end of the day, you're talking even, for example, decaffeination of coffee is a, a really well-known um, means of, of uh, you know, extraction. Why do people use that instead of, say, ethanol? Well, the ethanol would over-extract. It doesn't have the selectivity. And then 
could you imagine what it would cost uh, them in energy and all of that to, to, to really get that ethanol out? Um, it'd be really, really difficult to do. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's the, that's the main thing. There's also other applications. Um, we've done, you know, lavender, uh, we've done wheatgrass, uh, sapa meadow, there's a bunch of different, you know, options there for, um, you know, different ginseng, you know, and, uh, ghost peppers just in case and hops, Oh, ghost peppers and hops. <laughs> I can only imagine ghost pepper extract. <laughs> That yeah. sounds like an outtake. Uh, yeah, I moment. think so. We're we're gonna we're gonna get some of that. So, okay. uh, no, not yet. Yeah, so, so um, excellent. So, what were excellent questions? Excellent questions. Excellent answers. Love the overview of the um, uh, of, of some of these things. Uh, one of them uh, that came. It's a carryover from last week. Somebody had really good memory. Um, What's your favorite scotch? Oh, <laughs> my favorite scotch. Yeah. Oh, I like the Balvini, uh, and that's my favorite. It's a Highland, um, and so yeah, that I I really like that. Oh, that's good. Uh, I love my it. Favorites, so. and and I've tasted it, and it's very good. Yeah. Um, I, John's a scotch guy. I'm a bourbon guy. So, and I get along. I'm a rye bourbon guy, and <laughs> we we do have competitions. Yeah, we do. Yeah. He wins. <laughs> So we're, we're good. Okay, back to <clears throat> ethanol versus CO2. One of the questions that came up is, are we just using CO2 because that's our business and then building all of these questions and models to justify that? Um, right. or, or is this real, actual, validated stuff? Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, it's like a guy with a hammer, every problem is a nail type of question. Okay, yeah, I get that. No, I mean, look, I, I'm, an, uh, I'm a trained uh, analytical chemist. Uh, I'm an expert in separations. Of, uh, basically, I've been trained as a separation scientist, uh, chemical engineer. Uh, so for the last 20 years, I've been practicing in that field. Um, and, you know, I had practiced about uh, 11, 12 years mm -hmm. uh, from both an engineering standpoint and from a material standpoint and from a, uh, you know, scientific standpoint. When I went in, I didn't have a piece of equipment that I was going to build. I, I didn't. Mm -hmm. So I, ch I chose my medium. Sure. And, uh, you know, so I chose it for purposes of basically cleanliness, quality, uh, the ability to reach clinical grade. Uh, you know, materials, not having to worry about residuals, mostly health aspects, because I, I didn't want to deal with the risk of residuals. And I also didn't want to, you know, I, I, I know as a chemist, I can always measure those residuals. I, I, if they're, if you use them, I can see them in there because wow. they're very, very low levels and I can see them in there. In fact, um, you know, we, we do, we have a laboratory that runs okay. a lot of, you know, like samples for people. So the ethanol, the ethanol people that turn in samples, they have residuals in their acetone, propanol, uh, they have hexane, heptane in there. They're at the low, low levels, but you can see them in there. So essentially, uh, you know, you could get a pass test on the, uh, you can get a pass test with the analytical results, but you could still have a lot of that stuff in there. And, and wow. to me, that is, a big problem uh, because you know you can you can really kind of um, it's really not good. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example here. I, I made up a 
I made up a tincture here. This is a, a tincture. Um, it, it, this would pass the test of uh, the USP 460, 467, which is the, the testing. So it would pass it. Um, but it has in there, it has uh, acetic acid, it has butanol, it has all these uh, different chemical, pentanol or uh, pentane it has in there. It has ethanol, it has ethyl ether in there, uh, formic acid, heptane. So if I sent this sample in at, you know, and I sent it to a laboratory, they, they would send it back to me and they say it passes all the tests because it's underneath the level. But you, here, why don't you take a smell of that? And you open it up there. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. That's my point. Right there. That's a that's a completely legal tincture, and it's it's basically made up almost a hundred percent of solvents that are legally okay to have in your product. It smells kind of like airplane glue. It's <laughs> sorry. You could probably use it as an airplane glue. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the, you know. Oh, can't get my fingers off. Yeah, exactly. No. It's it's something. So anyway, that that's those are the main reasons. So as an analytical chemist, I'm not just we're not just making up data uh, to to really um, get a foundation for our the why we do things, uh, you know, butane was used in was used a lot when I first started this, and uh, we, you know we looked at butane. Uh, we actually ran butane. We we ran all the residuals. They're all in there. No way. Okay, uh, I we were doing uh, like uh, ethanol extractions at uh, was it minus forty degrees. With uh, you know, back in 2014, 2015, okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we, yeah, we did it. Yeah, and it was, it was all there. And sure enough, I mean, you know, the only way we could make it really work from a financial standpoint is if we use denatured ethanol. Well, as soon as the denatured ethanol came in, then it was like, okay, well, we're never going to get out those residuals. And of course, you can get them below the level of what the FDA says is safe, but then they're in there, right? And that's then what you that, got this. then you got that, and and uh, literally. If you, if you had a safe level of heptane, for example, in your tincture, okay, which the, the FDA says is 5,000 ppm, and you took uh, three dropperfuls per day, you would be consuming about 470 milliliters worth of heptane per year. The <sighs> issue with that is that the FDA has said, okay, 5,000 ppm is okay to have in your tincture because we do not have the data to show that it's unsafe. Okay. Just opposite of what they said about CBD, for example. Wow. Well, we don't have the data to show that it's safe, so then you can't have it at all or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing, um, and it's an interesting history. But they cited one paper written in 1981 uh, to just to say that, hey, look, it, it doesn't look like it's going to act uh, in your neuro, neuro system. But, you know, we know a lot. Uh, things about biochemistry since 1981, like for example, you know all the effects of solvents on cognitive effects. That's and, 40 years ago. Yeah, that's a long time. I think ago. it's time for another paper. I think it's time. Yeah, and yeah. So anyway, or they need to update their dossier, but they didn't do it yet. So there's still you could still have a lot. Okay, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift gears just a little bit more because there's a lot of questions coming in saying, you know. Well, are there benefits of using ethanol in your process? Right. And, and, you know, can you do that? And, and I think what you said is that, yeah, if you're using food grade or, or medical grade ethanol, 
go for it. That's good. But your costs are really high right now, especially now. Right. And even later, there's another question that came in about costs and to, to operate. And it's a lot less costly because of using CO2 versus ethanol. And it's a lot less costly because of power. So power consumption, uh, Dr. John said a moment ago is like $77 us per day to run a mm -hmm. CO2 processing. And it is, $500 a day, up to $500 a day using running ethanol per power. So, I mean, that's a, a giant, that's a seven times more expensive process, yeah. right? Okay, so that's number one. Number two, we use ethanol in our plant, right? Yeah, we, do. we use ethanol in various places. So I, I think it's important to say we, we don't think ethanol as a whole is evil, it's just not probably the best business practice because of costs, uh, because of testing, because of availability, because of um, a lot of different things that yeah. you talked about because of the residuals, yeah. especially denatured ethanol. Yeah. And if you move into food grade or medical grade or organic grade yeah. ethanol, that's not a problem. But no. there are other places that we use ethanol in this, especially as we are. Right. Go. Well, you know, yeah, we do. Yeah, we use it in different places okay. and we use food grade ethanol. Um, we use it for winterization process, for example. Yeah. Not, not a problem. I mean, we, we don't have to worry about the residuals because we pay we pay the extra amount for the, uh, you know, for the food grade ethanol. Um, but that food grade ethanol, we also don't have to worry about the residuals either then because yeah. we got that. So, you know, I did um, I did a, a quick uh, just kind of a bullet point list and it's up on the board here if you want to focus up on that. Um, so this is the, the variable cost. You have the cost of solvent changeover. You have the cost of solvent loss. You have the cost of uh, revalidation of the solvent. You have labor. You have the cost of solvent removal. You have the cost of startup consumables. In other words, you, you know, reusing or how much is going to take you for you to actually start up your operation. Your cost of utilities. That's the power and all that. Loss of product to carbon. A lot of people use carbon. Uh, a lot, you know, basically to clean up their, uh, their extracts, loss of product to raffinate, in other words, uh, not getting all the product out, the availability of the solvent, the biomass being hazardous waste, and also when you get rid of all of the uh, ethanol from that biomass, you're creating a lot of VOC and HAP, which is, uh, you know, those, those things are, uh, you have to have permits for that. So uh, it's different than CO2. So, um, you know, basically, if you if you add up all of those costs, those as from a variable perspective, and you compare it with CO two, it's not even in the same ballpark. Uh, you know, in terms of the amount of money it would cost you to create, you know, a kilogram of 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 you know CBD oil, CO two is way less. Uh, it's half, in wow. fact. So it's it's a it's a big deal. So, you know, a lot of people also talk. Well, the ethanol equipment is a lot less costly, and that that's true. The ethanol equipment is a lot less costly. Mm -hmm. In fact, you will pay almost yeah maybe anywhere from two thirds to you know like double basically the costs. Uh, you know, for more CO2 for more for CO two equipment, right? Equipment exactly versus ethanol. So it'll take about um, when you add up, you know. Basically, the operating costs, mm -hmm. you, you basically are at the same point in about two months worth of operation for two an existing two months. Two months payback on that much equipment. Right. Okay. Right. So that's where the crossover takes place. And then the CO2 from an operating standpoint just starts to kill ethanol completely. Okay. 
Yeah. Well, because then you've taken that cost differential out. Right. Okay. So now it's pure operating costs. Right. Okay. One of the questions that comes in a couple of times here is what about throughput? Okay. Mm -hmm. Give us an example of a CO2 process throughput versus an ethanol process throughput. Okay. Well, I mean, we're sitting in a five ton per day facility. Yeah. Um, and we did a tour on that. You can go see our tour. Oh, yeah, and that's at extractlab.com right. forward slash live dash tour. Yeah. So, yeah, you can go see that, and essentially, uh, so, you know, typically there's ethanol, uh, and you they have one-ton solutions, and they have, you know, even larger solutions. Sure. So they're, they're both scalable. I don't, I don't say that they're not both scalable. They definitely are both scalable. So okay. um, what – what is an issue of scalability really has to do with um, occupancy in your building. Mm. Okay, so if I'm going to scale ethanol at some point in time, uh, in very very soon, I'm going to my this, my the same occupancy. Like there's F occupancy and H occupancy. Okay, okay. H occupancy is where you have like a lots of solvent in the building. Okay, and so your occupancy is going to change. Oh yeah. Versus and so and then your insurance is going to change on top of that. Okay. And so you have a whole bunch of other barriers there that you really need to be thinking about. Like, you know, how much infrastructure do I need? Or what are my C one D two rooms or C one D one rooms I'm going to need? What, you know. Uh, you know, how much is it going to cost me now for insurance now that when my insurance company comes through? Sure. Um, even if it's uh, outside there, you know, it's still on site. Gotcha. Uh, so, and then uh, what about the building occupancy itself? Uh, wow. You have to change that, change that over. Oh, so yeah. there's a lot of different things to, you need to, to think scale about. up. You've got to accommodate all of that ethanol. Yeah, you do. That you need to use. You do. Oh, okay. So from a, a CO2 process uh, footprint and maybe I—I I know we can answer the question. If we're doing a ton a day, mm-hmm. how how big of a space do you need to do that? Yeah, so with CO two, basically four hundred square feet. Four hundred square feet. Yeah, so that would be three of our one hundred and eighty units essentially. And you know, in eight hundred square feet, you'd have enough to put an elephant in the room too. That's I a mean, ton a day. Yeah, throughput. Yeah, yeah. Two like eight hundred square feet would be two tons a day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's it's really really small. It's really not. Uh, you don't need to have a lot of space for that. Now, there's, there's, uh, that's just for the equipment itself. And then you have, uh, you know, you, you do have like, you have to have a CO2 place to put on your CO2. Mm-hmm. Usually that's a bulk tank that sits outside. Yeah. Um, or um, you can even have like a cylinder tank that sit inside um, with our CO2 cage, for example, sure. would be a good example of that. Yeah. Okay. So, so on a, on a comparative level, do you have an idea on how much uh, floor space it might take for an ethanol? facility i think they're for a ton a day yeah they're pretty comparable okay i mean uh, they're pretty comparable um i i think you can fit it all in uh to a very small space so you know um so i don't think that there's really that much of a difference between say how much space it it takes you to do ethanol versus how much space it takes you to do for a ton a day. Yeah, same for a thing. ton a day, same thing. Same and thing. the same thing for five tons a day. It's, okay. I mean, they're they're pretty compact. Okay. Um, I would say that um, you know the full full facility, you know, you can you can do five tons a day. Uh, you know, probably less than less than fifteen thousand square feet. Wow. That's not including all the storage oh, yeah. and sure. you know all your inventory and everything. You know, that's bulk bulky biomass that you have to store and sure. stuff like that. So, but the actual extraction process, right? That's what you need, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's everything. That's, that's like packaging. Uh, oh yeah. wow, yeah. that's everything. Okay, so that's that's 
you don't need a lot of space. No. No. And I mean, you want to, if you want to pull it out, if you want to add like corridors in there and things like that, um, you know, for GMP purposes, that'll get you some more space. Okay. You know, a lot of people want to have everything together really close when they're doing uh, GMP though. So that it, uh, so that everything's, uh, you know, they have different corridors and things like that. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, that's excellent. Uh, can you talk, okay, so we talked a little bit about ethanol being used elsewhere in our process, st- sticking with ethanol versus CO2. Um, and you said we use ethanol, food grade or organic grade, depending on what we're running right at the time. Right. So uh, that's for winterization. Right. Right. And then we also use ethanol for some of our clean in place. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So CIP uh, systems are called clean in place systems are, are really important for um, maintaining, um, you know, maintaining the cleanliness of your system. So uh, if you are using ethanol to clean out your uh, extractor, or you're using ethanol to clean out your, your, your distillation systems and things like that, those are typically low volume. Um, and we use ethanol specifically for that purpose. And it, it works great. Um, ethanol is a good solvent along those lines. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that, that kind of just as a sidebar, Randy, uh, you know, a lot of people say that uh, CO2 is not a good solvent. Well, that kind of is true. It's not a very good solvent. And that, that's actually that's actually the benefit. That's oh. actually what we see as a benefit because you use it and then you just increase the, or decrease the pressure, or, you know, and it goes away. So that, that's wonderful. That's because what we as want. I said last week, it's just bubbles. Right. As opposed to you have to cook. You, you basically have to evaporate ethanol. That takes a lot of energy to do that. So gotcha. the, the fact that it's not a good solvent is actually a huge benefit. Okay. So Excellent. Okay. Thank you. Um, the CO2 as a way to remediate THC or how do you, what is that oh, okay. process for that? Well, I don't think, yeah, the CO2 is not really selective in that way. So there really is no option for someone who says, okay, I want to use CO2 to, to, to remove THC. Now, if you have a chromatography process, which is uh, Pure 99, which is one of our products, you can use CO2 in uh, conjunction with another solvent to do that separation of THC and CBD. Oh. So that, that's, that's what that is all about. Yeah. Okay. So is that a place where we will selectively use ethanol on occasion yes. to remove THC? Yes, yes, yes. Food grade organic. Yeah. Okay, so so again, our, our primary process from a cost perspective is CO2. Right. And that's, that is the benefit and the beauty. Um, but, you know, we're, we're making decisions based on, on business, okay? Yeah. And it's our job to help you make money, to grow revenue, especially in this market, right? So... How do we help you grow revenue, reduce costs, do that? And so we want to have these very open conversations and we're not afraid of the tough questions. These are crucial conversations for all of us. And it's, you know, we're not in the divisive, you know, red versus blue conversations. Although sometimes it seems like it gets there and it's crazy. It goes there really quickly. I don't know why really. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's important to say, all right, we know that there's a huge embedded base of ethanol out there. The question is, how do you, how do you take the step to stay in business, to stay relevant to stay active when you can't get ethanol anymore. Right. What do you do? That's an issue. Uh, So we've got, you know, small footprints that, you know, we can put in for you. There's, but you know, you should consider a small footprint of CO2 anyway. 
I mean, that's just another thing. I'm throwing that out yeah. there. I'm not, I'm not trying to pitch. I'm just saying it's just a good business model for these kind of occurrences. Right. When product, when supply chain is, it sucks. Yeah. Frankly. I mean, you know, I think that uh, anybody who needs help understanding what the, what uh, the comparison looks like from a business perspective, um, happy to go through that. Yeah. You know, the, the other thing is um, I'd say also I have uh, personally put in million manufacturing facilities. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I do that knowing what the end result is going to be. Wow. And so when you think about it from that standpoint, I'm talking to you not only as a, someone who is a, a scientist, uh, who is an extraction scientist. Uh, I don't have a lab coat on. I guess that it doesn't make me a scientist. But, <laughs> you know, I also I, I put a lot of money uh, of my own money into, you know, basically into extraction facilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, millions. And that's that was my choice because I knew after doing all the calculations and everything uh, that I would spend X amount of dollars in infrastructure. I could actually get insurance and I would be able to produce at, you know, half the cost. Wow. So that makes a huge Huge difference. Difference. It's yeah. just, it's just good. It, it was your choice, your business practice. Yeah. And, um, and you had the wherewithal and you had the intelligence to really research all of it and look at it from uh, a very pure scientific perspective. And boy, when he makes decisions and I need a decision from him, we, we explore all <laughs> hypotheses. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Analytically. <laughs> Yes. Painfully. Uh, okay. No, I'm sorry. sorry <laughs> that's sorry. fine. It's true. It's true. It can be painful. Uh, but that's, that's just good business. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we need to make sure, sure that we're doing hey, that. I'd say it's good business to make sure that there's no, that, that your analytical chemist can't, can't measure residuals in your stuff. Yeah. That's good business. Yeah. Um, and the reason it's good business is because it backs up your brand promise. Yes. which is purity and consistency and potency and all that stuff. If we get in, we get in uh, some stuff. I tell you, as an analytical chemist, we can see everything, everything down to, you know, parts per trillion. If we want to, we can see it. And the deal there is you just don't want to, and a, a, a yes accepts from your uh, analytical laboratory that says, okay, yeah, this stuff is great. Is, is not good enough. In my opinion, I'm giving the, I'm giving, stuff that we make to our friends and family and to our customers. And, and so we have a brand promise. I care uh, deeply about not eating solvents Yes, as a, as an analytical chemist. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just something I don't like. I mean, I've had, yeah, I've been exposed to solvents, you know, my entire career and, you know, we have what's called PPE and, you know, everybody knows about that now masks and everything. Yeah. And we do things in hoods and, we don't even want to breathe this stuff, and yet it's okay to have five thousand ppm in your in your tincture. Give me a break. Not That's for ridiculous. Me. No. Would you give that to your kids? No way. No. I wouldn't do it. But but the laboratory will tell you it's all okay, and we have certs for it, and says it's all okay. And for most of us, so would we, we don't give do it that. To our pets. Huh? Would we give it to our pets? No, we wouldn't give it to our pets. <laughs> okay. Like sometimes I that's more important. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> It, it is Kids, sometimes dogs, more yeah, cats living happens. together, mass hysteria. <laughs> um, okay, question. Yeah. Uh, this is a follow-up question, and uh, so I want to revisit it. Yeah. The question from Ron is, can your system be used 100% ethanol-free, or do you always need it for winterization? 
Oh yeah, you can yeah you can run it winter. Uh, you can you can skip winterization with uh, using subcritical and supercritical methods. So you can do that. You just you're limited on the products that you can get out of it. Um, you know you can um, you know you can also use uh, like in distillation methods. You can distill like uh, you know like crude and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. So th it, it, there's methods to do that. The reason it, when you get up into tonnage. That's really when uh, it makes sense to have the ethanol. And, um, you know, so, you know, because it's a lot faster. You, when you're using subcritical methods, it's just it's a lot slower. Yeah. So, and, and, then, yeah. and if you're using food grade at those levels, you're using far less uh, ethanol in those processes. And it's food grade. Right. So you're less worried about all of this yes. icky stuff. Exactly. Okay, good. Yep. Icky, technical. <laughs> Very technical from, term. From me over here. Okay. Um, these questions are awesome. Um, keep bringing them in. This is great. Um, I, I appreciate all of your input through the day. We're going to stick here with a couple more questions, but I wanted to, before, for those of you who have to bounce. I want to make sure that you know what we're doing. We're doing this again next week. We've got too many questions to even cover <laughs> today. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have, yeah. you know, talking and, and sharing our information. Love all of the, um, love all of the information that you are putting in the chat. Love that. And would love to continue to ask these questions. I'm not sure what is our next topic next week, but um, based on these questions, I think it's pretty going to be pretty good. So look for your emails uh, and bring in the questions. Let us know what you really want to hear, hear about. Um, John, before we get to these final few questions, is there anything else that you want to say that I, I wasn't able to ask or we didn't bring up that you really want to cover on this ethanol versus CO2 debate? I, I just think that uh, from the standpoint of purity, purity, it's a big deal. And then from the standpoint of residuals, it's a, it's a big deal. So, um, you know, I would, I would invite you to, when you do your own purchases, that, that's something I, I'm really serious about. When you do your own purchases, kind of look for the CO2 label. Uh, it makes a difference uh, because there's no risk of residuals in that. In that. Um, so I would, I would just recommend that as a, um, something for you and your children and for your family. All right. Thank you very yeah. much. Um, also, as, as we go through, we do have, you know, our team is, you know, ready to answer questions. And, you know, after this, there's a link somewhere, right guys to, uh, they, you can click on that. We call them CBD jam sessions. They're 20 minutes max. And it's we're there to answer questions, uh, to walk through where you're stuck, where you have problems, where you're dissatisfied, where you're having difficulties. You know, bring bring those to us. You know, sign up for a CBD jam session. It's nothing. It'll take you right to a place where you can schedule a 20 minute calendar link with one of our guys. Um, and they're just there to answer your questions. So, you know, go ahead and do that. Um, the, the, the other one, uh, Satva just uh, sent another question here. Satva is making tinctures. Oh yeah. So with tinctures, the yeah. question is which method of extraction is best for that? And, you know, we've talked a lot at a real deep level. Right, right. So this is just bringing it right to reality. Right. I mean, if you're going to make a product, you should be using uh, either. Well, I would use uh, full spectrum uh, distillate or I'd use full spectrum like winterized oils for your tinctures. Um, and then I would take that uh, nice terpene mix and, uh, you know, add add flavor. So you have the essence of the plant 
in there. Uh, that's what I would do. Yeah. And it works great. I mean, uh, it tastes good. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of people make their uh, tinctures up with uh, either uh, MCT oil, which is um, sure. you know, MCT oil, or they'll use olive oil or something like that. And it should, it should be pretty easy to uh, to make up. Excellent. Yeah. So um, you so what you're saying is you can dial in your own formulation. Absolutely. And own you know, concentration boom. and yeah, and dial it in. Yeah, and, no problem. And some of these, you know, with the high terpene uh, levels and the the pulling those out early. Um, we, uh, the, the smell is very, lots of chlorophyll. It's, yeah. it's a really nice smell Yeah, and, and you'll like that. So uh, there's going to be no question from your customers as you're building your brand. If those terpenes are in there, the big thing that people want to know is, is there really CBD inside? Yeah, <laughs> and, that's right. And when you can smell it, yeah. you're like, Oh yeah, it yeah. must have, uh, this is good. It has a, yeah, it, it adds to the brand authenticity yeah. obviously. And you, um, you want to, you know, you, you don't want to also, I would also recommend that you stay away from like synthetic, uh, you know, synthetic, you know, terpenes. Sure. Okay. You know, you can buy like, you know, pure grade synthetics. I, I wouldn't do that because there's obviously contaminants in there. I would say, you know, go ahead, use the plant. This there's, there's literally thousands of compounds in, in something like this. You know, and uh, it's all natural. It comes from the plant. You don't use a lot. Um, you don't use a lot. So you just put a little bit in t- for flavor and aroma. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, a couple deep dive questions now to end, end, end this Q&A session. Um, Amaru uh, asks, uh, is there any difference between the extraction of THC and CBD um, oh, it moved down the page. Sorry. With CO2. And, and what are the boiling points is the question. Oh, what the boiling points. Okay. So let me, let me talk first about the extraction of CBD Please. versus THC. And, okay. and, you know, there are some differences. It has to do with solubility of the, of the cannabinoid. Um, you know, we, we typically tend to get a better extraction efficiency with a THC as compared to CBD. So, um, you know, we're basically averaging right around 90, 90 to say 85 to 95% ex- extraction efficiency with uh, CBD uh, with average right around 90%. That's with CO2. Um, when you are looking at, uh, you know, extraction of THC, it's, it's more like 90 to 100% with an average of 95 to 96%, you know, recovery. So those are some of the things you need to think about the THC just comes out easier. It's more soluble. Um, I think that there are negligible differences in solubility between THC and, uh, and CBD for ethanol. It, ethanol will dissolve everything, including your tongue. If you take wow. some of that Everclear on there oh. <laughs> yeah. okay. or, uh, or, or if you have lots of scotch, of course, Oh, you, you can you can cast strength scotch, of course, will will dissolve your tongue. It's, oh, it's well yes. known. Yes. So uh, cast strength is yes. Cast strength is tough. Make your eyes water. <laughs> but so, it's so good. But it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> OK, a couple quick, a couple more questions. Um, uh, circling back to terpenes um, is are there additional benefits? I guess we can't really say benefits. What are are there advantages, potential advantages of terpenes? over flavor and aroma are there therapeutic the question comes in are there therapeutic effect effects etc yeah yeah there are um and i think that a lot of people have now um tried to uh correlate uh the 
the entourage effect. Okay. And they've tried to show that, Hey, look, uh, if you have, uh, this particular terpene in combination with this particular can cannabinoid ratio, that it's uh, going to be metabolized better in your body because you have these particular, uh, markers, uh, or these particular proteins or these particular enzymes. So it, it actually, uh, the science every day is getting better and better. Um, and, uh, there's just published all kinds of published papers on this. And it's a very exciting time because um, people are starting to use that information now to make therapeutic claims. Now, uh, part of the issue with therapeutic claims is that there are therapeutic claims. <laughs> you know, so I think that I think in general that, look, you have a plant. Um, you want to you want to try to maintain the naturalness of the plant. Sure. So you get a full spectrum uh, you get a full spectrum terpene, like what we're what yep. we're obtaining, and you put that in, so you get full spectrum, and, and it just matches the plant. Um, and so, that, I think that's the best situation for uh, for most people. And yeah, I think also there's a lot of brain science um, uh, that I have friends in the neurology areas and stuff, and they talk about aroma as being a significant advantage in all uh, essential oils. That's one of the key benefits. If you're smelling lavender, that's why they, when you go and buy it at the health food store, it says calm, right? right. Or if you want some energy, you're doing eucalyptus or whatever. And they have those euphemistic names attached to those essential oils. Right. And, and it's the similar thing with the terpene because it's got that rich chlorophyll right. aroma. Right. Uh, something happens in your brain. Um, and when you when okay, so guys do this all the time, right? This is horrible. Smell this. <laughs> okay. Right? Right. Same thing. You're like, okay, you're already predisposed to know you're going to hate it. Right. Right. Pretty much. It, yeah. It's what you do. And it's yeah. what, unfortunately, it's what we do to each other. Yeah. Um, but that that's on the inverse side. It's so there is, there are those advantages and benefits. Right. Sorry. Um, so, but those are a lot of studies. You can Google that kind of brain science. So those advantages are there. Holy cow. Lots more questions coming in. Um, uh, one question that has come up is um, the current market and yeah. where it's going because there have been some um, issues and I, I, I don't like to make the whole uh, issue about, you know, current, I, I'd like, we like to have an evergreen effect on these, but this is, this is a timely question for all of us on how to maintain costs, how to grow, how do, how do we lock arms together and, and protect the market out there because there's some processors that are doing splits or right. um, premise extraction and different things kind of killing the market a little bit. Right. Um, can you speak to that and where this market is headed? And is this just kind of a short blip? Right. What are your thoughts? Well, I, you know, look, there's um, the studies that are out there, the market studies, uh, you, you really should use those as your guiding light to the market. Um, so people use those for investment. And, uh, you know, what they did was they, if you talk to the analysts who wrote these reports, they, um, and I, I used to do this, uh, basically building up a market model from the base and then, and then adding on the revenue year over year. And you, as you think it, it's going to grow and you come up with a model and then, and then you continuously improve that model. So, um, there are many different analysts that are out there. 
that are basically saying, okay, uh, we're at a, a one to five billion dollar market now, and some people are saying a five point eight billion dollar market. That's supposed to grow up to uh, you know twenty plus billion in the next several years, like wow. uh, five or six years. So, I think all of the people who are involved in this market, uh, from the standpoint of operation or a brand or our extraction or even growing. You know, there's going to be these ups and downs that we're experiencing, but or that can experience a temporary lapses in the market. But we're still on this overall trajectory. OK, mm-hmm. um, you know, all boats will rise with the tide and we're with the basically the tide is coming in. So, um, you know, make sure that your boat doesn't have any holes in it. <laughs> not all boats will rise with the tide. But but, um, you know, if you have a hole in your boat, don't you know, you're going to have a, a hard time floating. Just get in the market, uh, you know, ride the market up. Um, and, you know, there's going to be lots of opportunities. There's going to be roll-ups that are occurring. There's going to be, um, you know, businesses that are pur- purchased. Um, maybe, maybe yours is the great brand that uh, consumers really connect with. Um, you know, you have the opportunity to do that. It's kind of a white space. So I would encourage you to um, take heart. Uh, and, uh, you know, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we need to do is really go for it. Um, so what I'd like to do is make sure that, you know, we answer your uh, business questions as well. You know, uh, John talked about his background. My background is 30 plus years in uh, roll-ups, acquisitions, uh, businesses. I've written a book called The Intelligent Small Business. I even got the Congressional Medal of Honor for helping. All right, man. That's pretty sweet. All right. Uh, that and $7 will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Um <laughs> I, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, we're here. And those are the kind of questions we're, we're looking for to help you with. Even when you do the CBD jam sessions, we don't need to just talk about your processes and things. We're happy to talk about your, your cash flow. How do you do revenue? How are yeah. you defining your brand? How are you defining your, your, your um, market avatar? What are you doing? Um, how are you generating revenue? How can we come alongside you and help generate more profitable revenue for yourself? I had a business long ago, one of my first businesses that I started in the late seventies, early eighties, that's how old I am. Um, and I was getting all this revenue in revenue, revenue, revenue. It's great. What I didn't realize at the time was that I was like losing 10 cents for every dollar I brought in. (laughs) So uh, the more revenue that was coming in, the faster I was losing money. Uh, And we don't, you know, those are the kind of stupid ass things that we do. And you know, that we have tripped over that we can bring to you and answer questions for. So that's part of this uh, Q&A session each week that we want to bring to you is is the manufacturing, the processing for this industry, the business side, what we can do from a revenue generation perspective. What can we do to help you? That's why we're here. Yeah, right? basically. Yeah. yeah. So, so test us. Let's go. And I don't, we're not trying to, you know, anchor ourselves on one side of the desk. We, we want to lock arms with all of you and say, how do we get better? You know, we all need to be in that mindset where we can actually with more information, we change our mind. And, you know, we're of that same ilk. Let's, let's talk, let's have good productive dialogue so that we all can ride this wave up to, you know, the 20, 26 billion is the number I heard. Um, But who knows where that is, but you know, that's just in the next three years. So that's giant. Let's lock arms and let's go there together. I appreciate you being here, John, 
amazing Thank show you. today. Thank you. Uh, this is good. We're going to be back fun. next week. Watch for your emails. Um, Subscribe. We do have a uh, really good um, extraction, advanced extraction guide. You can download, schedule your CBD jam session. Um, there's a link at the backside of this, or you'll get that. Um, and we're happy to have those conversations with you. Uh, Tim and Barbara and Lucas will be happy to, you know, talk to you. And if we need to get involved, happy to do that as well. Uh, watch the live tour that John mentioned earlier. He did a great job going through that. It's it's really cool seeing this five ton a day facility in action. It's insane. Uh, so so that's good. Um, like us on YouTube if you would. Like us, watch Instagram, Facebook, whatever you can. That would be really cool, and it helps us know. You can throw your questions anywhere uh, in any of those mediums. They'll kind of funnel to us. Yeah, good. Any yeah. parting words, John? No, uh, just thanks for attending, and yeah, subscribe on YouTube, and uh, we'll be catching you next week. All right, guys. Yeah. Thank you for being here. You, you guys are awesome. Questions are amazing. Sorry we couldn't get to all of your questions, but we are here and I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye now. Are you stuck in your hemp or cannabis business? Are you not reaching your processing goals? Here at Extract Lab, we offer a free 20-minute CBD jam session. A CBD jam session is a conversation with an industry expert, not a sales call. A conversation where you can talk to us about whatever issues you are having right now and where you are stuck. We will help you uncover any issues you are currently having in your business, create a solution to fit your current scale, develop a future scale-up plan based on your needs, and help you make your processing goals a reality, all while getting your business plan back on track. Schedule your free 20-minute CBD Jam session at 1-651-600-0036. Again, that number is one 651 600 0036.